Well, good morning again. This is uh, the third week of a series called Hope for the Broken. Hope for the Broken, if it's your first time. The reason we're doing this series is, uh, it actually, the root of it all came a few years ago when uh, the church I was serving at that time had a Celebrate Recovery service, or uh, ministry, Celebrate Recovery ministry. I don't know if you know what that is. It's a, it's a ministry. Uh, a lot of people that, that are struggling with addiction or freedom from addiction go to those, those meetings. It's like AA or NA, but it has a distinct Christian perspective on it. And I wanted to know more about it. I had heard about the 12 Steps but I don't think I had ever really looked at them or studied them, and so I just was reading more about it, and I was struck in the moment that I was reading it that, you know, these 12 steps shouldn't be something that just people in the addiction community live by. They're not something that, that should be only uh, a guide for them. In fact, I think that they apply to all of us, and I think if we were to apply them to our lives, that God could truly give us hope in our brokenness, that he could free us from our hurts, our habits, and our hang-ups as they sell and celebrate recovery. And so I set out to say, well, what does it look like for us to teach these? Because the 12 steps are inherently rooted in biblical principles. And as we apply them to our lives, I believe and that you will, as you do this, you will find hope in your brokenness and you will find freedom from your brokenness, and God will move you to a place of wholeness in him. And so that's what we're doing over this uh, time together. If you want to turn with your, in your Bibles, if you have them with you this morning, I just want to read a scripture passage as we begin this morning. The scripture passage would be 1 John, 1 John, starting at verse 5. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's uh, okay. You can listen. To, listen. Um, if you don't own a Bible, we have Bibles on the table when you walk in here. Please, today, pick one up. If you want to go back and pick one up right now, take it home with you. We believe here at Palmyra Grace that if you get into the Word, the Word will get into you, and God will transform your heart and life. And so let's read this, 1 John, 1 John starting at verse 5. 1 John 1, 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. There is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. Would you bow in prayer with me again? Father, as we go to your word, I just ask, as I always do, that these brief moments we share together wouldn't be a time where information would be transferred from me to this congregation, that your Holy Spirit would move in our midst, and that you would bring about life transformation through the preaching of your word. Lord, I cannot do this on my own. I am only able to do this by your power. So Holy Spirit, fill me. Do not allow me to say anything that would take away from your word. Lord, come into our midst, speak now, and give us something that we can live by tomorrow. Allow this Sunday to influence Monday so that the change in our lives that would be seen by those in our workplaces, in our schools, in our homes, in the world around us, and it would prompt them to ask what the reason is for, the, for our hope, and we would be able to share with them the good news of Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen. 
So I don't know if everyone would know this. I've shared this a few times. Um, my background prior to becoming a pastor was as a police officer. And one of the things that you obviously would do as a police officer sometimes is you interrogate people, right? It's just something that happens. And, and uh, you interrogate people because you want to elicit a confession. And so one of the things that we do, trade secret, right? Everybody get their pens and papers out here. One of the things we would do that I noticed that was, that was interesting is that when you knew the time that a crime was committed, you would ask that person that you were, that you were interviewing to give you a timeline of their life, of everything they did from four hours before to four hours after the crime. And they would be able, you wanted them to be as detailed as possible, where you were, what you were doing, who you were with, right? And you would write that down for every hour along the way for those eight-hour period. And you know what happened every single time? The hour that the crime was committed, they could never remember what they did. Ever. They could remember everything four hours before. They could remember everything four hours after. But the middle, I don't know what happened then right? And they had, they had no clue. And the reason is, is because they didn't really want to give a confession. They didn't want to tell us. So rather than lying, it was just kind of the, the human nature, you know, none of us actually want to own up to what we've done. And so they just didn't say anything. And you had to pry a little harder for that hour to get an alibi. And then you check it out and so on and so forth. But the reality was what I learned, it was across the board. Very rarely did this not apply to all the people that I would interview. I, it's human nature not to want to initially confess something. I see this with my kids too, don't you? I mean, have you ever had this? You're like, hey, the lamp's broken. Do you have any idea how that happened? No. <laughs> well, you and I are the only ones who have been home all day, and I didn't do it. It must have been an angel, <laughs> right? Like, it's ingrained in our children. They, they don't want to confess. They don't want to admit that they did something wrong almost not my kids, other people's kids. My kids are perfect because they're pastor's kids, but everybody else's kids, this is something that I've heard happens, right? Now, it's tough to get a confession because we don't, we don't want to confess. In fact, for most of us, we want to forget about the past without taking responsibility for it. It was something that happened, and, and now, that, now that it's past, and now that we've moved on in our life to something new, it's not important to do that. Let's just move on. Let's forget it happened. It's common for us to do. In the, in the addiction community, it's something that they focus on. And it's something that I think we need to focus on today is that this is our human nature. And yet, something they found in the, in, in the 12 steps, something they found for people that are walking from brokenness to wholeness is that it's hard. It's hard to move into newness of life, into wholeness, without first taking care of the brokenness in the past. And that's an important thing. As we've been walking through this, we've been walking kind of through this journey from brokenness to wholeness through the 12 steps. And I shared the first week that the very first thing we have to recognize if we want to move from brokenness to wholeness, if we want hope for the broken, is we need to recognize and admit that we are powerless over our addictions and compulsive behaviors and that our lives have become unmanageable. That we are, in fact, sinners, right? And that we sin. We do. The Bible's very clear about it. There is no one who is righteous, not even one. 
That all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we talked about in the first week that what Paul says in Romans chapter 5 is that all of us were born in Adam. We were born in Adam. That after the fall, all of the people that are on the earth from that point on, we were born with a sinful nature. And I, I, I said that that was represented by this black trash can, right? And that, you know, every person, every single ball here was born in Adam. So, you know, I was born in Adam, and you were born in Adam, and, you know, my mom and dad are here this morning, and, you know, unfortunately, sorry, guys, like, they were born in Adam, right? Like, we all were born in Adam, and, and that there's nothing that we could do about that. And, and when we live our lives, because Adam fell and because sin came into the world, we live out in a, we, that comes out of us in our brokenness. And then step two said that we have to come and believe that a power greater than ourselves can restore us. A power greater than ourselves. And I shared that even like these balls, it's impossible I think we would all agree it's impossible for us to stand here and watch these balls and see one of these balls lift itself out of the broken atom and place itself in Christ without my help, right? It's impossible. They're not just going to jump out of the basket into the next basket. It's not going to happen no matter how long we stand here. You want to chest it this morning? You're like, no, I got lunch plans, Pastor, right? What does it take? It takes an outside actor, It takes Jesus to come, to give his life on a cross, to live a perfect life, die a sinner's death, surrender himself to the grave, and then defeat the grave, defeat sin, be risen again. And if you and I put our trust in him and what he's done, we receive a gift from God that transfers us from darkness into life, transfers us from sin, from being in Adam to being in Christ And we have to put our belief in that. We have to put our faith in something greater than ourselves. The only thing greater than ourselves that can do this is that name above every other other name, Jesus Christ. And then we said, once we're here, remember this from last week? Once we're here, there's something that we all struggle with. The fact is, yes, we are in Christ. The Bible says we are a new creation. The Bible says we've been crucified with Christ. The Bible says we have a mind of Christ. And yet sometimes, without us even knowing it, we start acting like the guy that was in here. Right? And we think we're doing really good. Like, like life's going good. We're loving our wife. We're being kind to our kids. We're dealing with that annoying guy at work really well. And then all of a sudden, like it just comes out of nowhere. And you're like, whoa. Whoa. There's still brokenness in me. I'm still, even though I am new, there's still some of the old man that God needs to take care of, that the Holy Spirit needs to clean. And we say that's the theological word, that big word, sanctification. And the requirement that we all have if we want to engage in living more like Christ is step three. Consciously choosing to commit all of our life and our will to Christ's care and control, giving it all to him. And now, part of doing that, part of engaging the Holy Spirit's process in this is what we're talking about today, confession. You see, step four says that we need to make a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Whew. Anybody wanna sign up for that? 
Could you imagine me putting a sign out front at the church? Come and join us as we all take a searching and fearless moral inventory from ourselves. Boy, that'll bring people in from all over, right? (laughs) Of course not. But here's the thing. John Baker, the creator of uh, Celebrate Recovery, this is what he says, and I think it's so true. He says, if we're ever going to recover from the hurts, hang-ups, and habits of our lives and know the joy of a pure heart, we have to learn how to let go of our guilt and shame and how to gain a clear conscience. I shared with you all, one of my burdens as a pastor is the number of people that live in Christ and yet act more like saved sinners than sanctified sons. They act more like the old man and they focus on who they once were rather than living in the newness and freedom that is in Christ once you've surrendered your life to him. Sons and daughters, just to be gender gender neutral here this morning. And that we have the opportunity to do that. Everything the Bible says about us, we sang it this morning, I am who you say I am. Who the sun set free is free indeed. But one of the things that keeps us from walking with that mindset, from living that out, is that we have things in our past that we still haven't surrendered to Christ. We still haven't confessed so he can clean us of them. And if we don't do that, for some of us, those things can hang on and steal the freedom that God wants us to have in him. It requires taking a fearless moral inventory. Fearless. That struck me, really, as I was reading this. Fearless. What does it mean to be fearless? I have a fearless moral inventory. Well, I think the two things that keep us from doing this, the two things that would keep me from doing this, the first one would be pride. Pride would definitely keep me from doing this. Uh, pride tells us we don't need to confess. Man, every time I have to apologize for something, I deal with pride. Right? Because there's two things that come up with in me. This is just me, met the pastor. You don't have to say it's you. All right, two things that come to me. First of all, I want to blame others for what I did. Like, listen, if she would have said what she said to you, you would have acted the same way, right? Pride, we want to blame other people or we want to rationalize, right? Like, yeah, it wasn't that bad. I mean, if you want to know things that are really bad, I could tell you about some people that do some really bad sins that are really far from God. It's it, like, like my sin was just an itty-bitty one, right? And, I, and so I don't really need to confess this. I don't really need to own that. That's what my pride does to me. And, and then sometimes it's fear. Sometimes it's fear. And the reason we don't own the things in our past or we don't own the sins that we've committed is because to confess them means that we have to get over the embarrassment or the pain of our faults. And we have to get over that because it's painful sometimes. It's painful. Let's, let's just be real this morning, can we? Is it not painful to admit that something you did was, that was heinous, you were capable of doing? Because we all like to see ourselves in the best light possible. And these things can happen when we have to fearlessly step in because our fear and our pride put up barriers. Not only do they put up barriers if we do not, if we have unconfessed barriers from our relationship with God, but they can put up barriers in our relationships with others. So the step says we need to take a fearless moral inventory. We have to look back at where our brokenness has sinned and where out of our brokenness as we lived as the old man or woman, how we have sinned. And then once we've done that, once we've gone through that process, five, six, and seven come in. Steps five, six, and seven that tell us that we admit to God, ourselves, and another human being the exact nature of our wrongs, that we are ready 
to have God remove all these defects of our character and we humbly ask him to do so. Why would we do this? Why, why, does, why do we need to do this? I think two things. First of all, I think we need to, it allows us to live in freedom from our past. It allows us, as we are in Christ, to understand Christ already paid the price for those sins. And if you haven't confessed them, and if they're still plaguing you, you are not walking in the freedom that the cross and the empty tomb have offered you. But also hope for our future. You understand that God has an opportunity each and every day for us to walk in the fullness of our fellowship with him, but our sin separates him from us and us from him, and God doesn't want that. He invites us to confess our sins. One of the things I want to say this morning, this is a big idea. If you catch nothing else from me this morning, this is what I want you to walk away with. Confession is the ongoing practice of admitting our need for Jesus. Step number one. We, we need Jesus. We're sinners. We can't live without him. He's the, only, he's the savior of our souls. He's the one that can help us. He's the one that is the only one that can help us with our brokenness problem and the continued dependence on his power because he's the only one that can give us a hope for the future. He's the only one that can help us continue to live in Christ. And as we do that, as we confess our sins and as we receive forgiveness from God, it allows us to walk in a life where we're ongoing. It's an ongoing admitting. We need him. And we need to be empowered by him day by day. And I think this is what John's telling us in our, our, uh, our scripture this morning. John says in 1 John 1.5, this is the message that we've heard from him. John was a follower of Jesus. He spent three years with Jesus. This is what he heard from Jesus. And now he wants to tell you all of it. That God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. You see, this is why this is so important. As we move from wholeness to brokenness, or from brokenness to wholeness, this is why this is so important. Because if we are in Christ, and we are in God, right? And and God is who we are following. He is light. That's who he is. And if we are gonna be in him, there's no place for darkness, There's no place whatsoever. The word light referring to God is in the Bible 275 times. That tells me it's a pretty important thing about God. And it's used for different reasons. The reason why God is light is because he's the source of life. You know, the sun's the source of life. He's the source of life. Not only that, but it represents his holiness. Psalm 98, 90 verse 8 tells us that nothing is hidden from God and his light. The light exposes the sin and it leads us into new life. That's what God's light does. It searches the dark places, the dark places where our brokenness is hidden, those dark places where we think we've taken care of it. Remember last week, we think we've held the ball down under the water and everything's good from here up? Light exposes those things because God wants to take care of them and he doesn't want them to pop out of the water out of nowhere, right? They don't, so that we hurt our relationship with God or other people. It's an exposing light. But only, not only that, but God's light it reveals. It reveals himself. It reveals our need for him. There's no darkness at all. Listen, light's attractive. Darkness is not. I use the black and the white trash can because it just makes sense to us. You see two guys on, a mo- on an action movie. The bad guy's dressed in black. The good guy's dressed in white. I mean, right? This isn't, this isn't rocket science. This is who God is. And John recognizes the struggle that we have, though, that that we're in Christ, there's still darkness. 
He does. That's why he wrote this. He says, if we say we have fellowship with him, if he says we are in Christ and we are fellowship with God and we have darkness, we walk in darkness, we live in darkness, we have any darkness in us, we lie and don't practice the truth. John says, if you say you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus and you are walking in darkness, if there is sin in your life that's unconfessed, if there's sin in your life that, yeah, listen, this isn't to guilt you. Listen, we all struggle with it. But if there's sin in your life that you're not dealing with or you're not asking God to empower you to overcome, it's kind of harsh, but it's the truth of God. It says we are living a lie. We're living a lie. And that we're not practicing the truth. John Baker, again, the creator of uh, Celebrate Recovery, says, says this. I think this is so good. He says, our spiritual growth is the process of expanding the windshield and shrinking the rearview mirror. Our spiritual growth is an ongoing process of the life in Christ getting bigger and bigger in our lives as we move forward. And that old person is getting smaller and smaller. Folks, if we're moving the opposite direction, God wants to get your heart this morning and tell you that's not how he created it to be. But there is hope for the brokenness. There is hope for the broken. John goes on, he says, but if... If, that's a big if, right? If we choose to walk in the light, if we choose to respond to the grace that God's given us, then Christ is gonna do something. First of all, we're gonna have fellowship with God. What he wants us to do. And then this, please, do not allow the Sunday morning doldrums to remove this, the power of this verse from you. Don't allow you to miss this. Listen, listen to this. He promises that the, the blood of Jesus, his son, will cleanse us from all sin. If you're a Christian in this room this morning, you should be able to be like, well, yeah, I know, I know, right? Well, let's not lose sight of this. If we walk in the light, if we want to live in Christ, if this hope that we have in him, this extended free gift of grace is given to us, if his Holy Spirit that's living inside of us, wanting to empower us to live for him, if we engage that, if we walk in that, if we invite that into our life, God promises that we will have fellowship with him, that we will know him, that we will be with him, and that Jesus will cleanse every sin from us. That's beauty of the gospel. That's the hope that we have. But John wants to make sure we understand, so he returns again in verse 8 to, but if we say we have no sin, if we don't admit the fact that we need his help, we deceive ourselves. Not only are we living a lie, but we're lying to ourselves, folks. We're allowing ourselves to believe something that's not true. The truth is not in us. This word, walk, in verse 7, and this word, cleanse, in verse 7. The original language for the New Testament is Greek, and they have different tenses than we do. And the tense here is a present tense. And what that tells us is that if we walk in the light, Jesus cleanses, is not just a one-time thing. The present tense tells us that it's an ongoing, day by day, hour by hour, week by week, Jesus carrying out a cleansing process in the individual life of a believer. That's the hope. 
That's the hope. As we've surrendered to him, as we've said, we are now new. I am a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. As we walk in that, if we say, if the sun set free, I am free indeed. I am a child of God. I am a son. I am a daughter. I am seated in heavenly places. And though there is sometimes things that I used to do that I do, and I understand that, that Jesus has given me the invitation to confess those sins, to hand them over to the throne of God, to say, God, I repent of them. Please change my heart, change my life. It, let your light shine in me, cleanse me from this sin, that we have the opportunity day by day to walk in a newness that those of us that don't know this hope would never experience. We have, a, we have an awesome opportunity, and without it, we don't have fellowship with God, and without it, we don't have forgiveness, we don't have restoration, we don't have wholeness, we have brokenness, we have guilt, we have shame, we have all of these things And John doesn't want us to have that. And how do we pursue this? So how do we engage this day-by-day thing? John's very clear in verse 9. We confess our sins. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful. He's promised. If you confess them, that he's just, that he will forgive you. God's true on his promises. And he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This This word confess is an important word. It has two meanings in the Old Testament. The first one is, is that it means for us to to praise God. Confession can mean praising God. The second one could mean, you know, confess, to to tell him of the, the things we've done wrong. And I think it's interesting that one of the words of confess is to praise God. If you remember last week, we were in Romans 12, and I said that to engage this process of surrendering to God, that we have to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. And Paul tells us that that's our true spiritual worship. So how do we engage in this spiritual worship in which God promises that he will renew our minds so that we know the mind of God and we can live for him? One of the ways we praise him, one of the ways we offer ourselves as a sacrifice is we confess to him. In the Greek, the New Testament, confess has another meaning. It means just to acknowledge or be in agreement. So every time you're confessing, it is not like sometimes I thought as a child that it's an invitation from God for you to feel guilty and to be full of shame and to roll up to him and say, God, I messed up again and I can't deal with myself and it's so hard and pride and guilt and all of those things come in. No, it's agreeing with God. It's agreeing with God. You know what? Yeah, I need your help. I can't do this on my own. I've missed the mark again. And part of me, the part of me that has not been renewed in Christ still does things in disobedience to you and I need your help, Lord. Forgive me, cleanse me, renew me, and give me hope, give me strength that next time I face that temptation that you will forgive me. John says in chapter two, verse one, he's sharing all of this with us as his children so that we don't, we don't sin. The end game of this confession is not that we live in a life in a pattern of guilt and shame. No, the end game for all of this is that we experience the freedom in Christ. Are you with me? And yet, I don't know. I have to be honest. I've never, ever in my life heard somebody that I can remember, doesn't mean it didn't happen, preach about confession. And there were years when I didn't do it. I prayed to God for things that I wanted, right? I prayed for God when I forgot to study for a test. 
I prayed to God when I wasn't a cop, and I passed one 15 miles over the speed limit, right? I prayed to God when I messed up, and I hope nobody found out. I prayed to God when I did that sin again that I promised that I would never do again, and I just promised them yesterday that I will never do it again, God. I'm so sorry, and that I did it again, right? I've done all of that before, but I've never understood, I didn't understand that this is an opportunity each and every day for me to experience life in Christ. This is what happens, we confess. We confess it's an ongoing practice of admitting our need for Jesus and a continued dependence on his power. So what are you afraid of? If you think about taking a fearless moral inventory, what scares you about this? Because if you're honest, it probably does. The pride seeps up. The fear seeps up. But the hope of it is too important. It's very clear that it gives us freedom from the past. It gives us freedom from our past. Listen, what I'm about to share is very sensitive. I'm going to admit that. And if this hits you in the wrong place, understand that I'm sharing this because I don't think there's a better way for me to illustrate this. You with me? A couple years back, a man who was old enough to be a grandpa, we'll just say that, comes into my office. And he says, Pastor, I really need to talk to you. And I said, okay, what's up? And he goes on to share with me about 50 years earlier that he and his wife made the decision to abort a child. Okay? And he goes on to share with me that for 50 years, he's been in here, but he hasn't experienced one minute of newness in Christ because that act forever makes him define himself in here. And he was broken. And he's crying to me. How can God ever forgive me for this? And though I'm not a priest, and though we don't practice that, I had the opportunity to sit with him and help him through confessing that sin to God. To asking for forgiveness. I had the opportunity then, as he did that, and he said amen, to speak words of hope over him, to affirm to him who he is in Christ Jesus, to affirm to him that even this, the blood of Jesus has cleansed, and that he has the opportunity to live as a son of the God most high, forgiven from that. And he need not walk in guilt and shame anymore. And I will tell you, as true as I'm standing in front of you right now, that that man stood up from my chair in my office and walked away as a new man. And there's some of you in this room. There's some of you that have done things out of your brokenness that still you're living with. And though you believe in Jesus, though you've given your life to him, you still are defining yourself by that, rather by that action than by his. I'm here to tell you this morning that freedom is offered to you through confession freedom from the past 
and hope for the future. Satan's, Satan's deal is very clear. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And everything he wants is to take away the hope that you have. And every day he wants to take away the hope that you have in Christ, the identity you have in Christ. And every day he is hoping that you fall again, that you slip again, that you sin again, so that he can define you, your parenting, you as a father, you as a worker, you as a Christian, all of those things defined by your brokenness rather than your newness in Christ. And if you would understand how to confess your sins, ask for forgiveness, ask God to empower you in the moment of temptation to free you from that sin once and for all, you will experience hope and you will walk in freedom. And one more thing, you'll experience true community. Let's not forget that verse four tells us that we confess our sins, we, we do moral inventory and then we tell God and another human being. This is getting real personal now, right? Because we don't do that. That's when the worry of pride, right? That's when the fear really sinks in. Like, what are, what are my friends going to think of me if I tell them this? But I can tell you, I've been in places in Christian community. Of course, it's got to be mature people. It's got to be trustworthy people. It's got to be people that understand this. It's got to be people that are for you, not against you. You've got to have wisdom on who this person is. But I've been in small groups with people where someone, you could see them, and their lip starts to quiver, and they start to breathe a little bit, and I could see them, and, and they just, they can't take it anymore. The joy of following Christ has been taken from them, and they just come out. They take a step of faith, and they just come out, and they're like, you know what? I am struggling with this, and it keeps being a cycle in my life of brokenness, and I need help. I need Christ to forgive me, and I need this group to help me. And you know what happens every time? Everybody's like, oh my gosh, no. That's not what happens. You know what happens in that room? Most people are like, yeah, you know what, me too. And then you know what happens? A beautiful thing. We gather around them. We pray for them. We covenant with them. You know what, I'm for you, sister. I'm for you, brother. I'm gonna hold you up when you're weak in this. I'm gonna walk with you through this so that you experience freedom, the freedom that is all of ours. And there's something beautiful about the church that God has given us that in the right context, with the right people, we can experience true community and we can have the opportunity, you may have the opportunity like I did, to speak truth over someone who's lived with brokenness for so long and affirm to them who they are in Christ and see them walk in a newness that is ours in Jesus Christ. And if you don't have a culture of confession, it's not gonna happen. James tells us, therefore confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. Confession is the ongoing practice of admitting our need for Jesus and a continued dependence on his power. So as the band comes up, I just want to invite you in this moment to bow your heads and close your eyes. And just for a minute, do a searching and fearless moral inventory. Go ahead, do that with me now. And just ask the Lord. Keep that slide up there, if you could, Jim. 
and just ask the Lord to help you. Search me, O God, know my heart. Is there something that you need to confess this morning? One of the things we don't do so much in our faith tradition here is we don't do liturgy, we don't pray the historic confessions of the faith, and yet they have a place in our life as Christians. And So as you think about those things that God's brought to mind, I just want to invite you to, to pray this confession with me. The words will be up on the screen. And on the back of our grace group questions, there's, there's a whole list of them if you need help taking a step in this spiritual practice this week. And it's okay to use them as a model if this is new for you. That's why Christians around the world have done that. So why don't we go ahead and take a look at the screen here and just say this together. Merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. We have not loved you with our whole heart and mind and strength. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. In your mercy, forgive what we have been. Help us amend what we are and direct what we shall be so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen.